this morning, I want to just say if you are new to this and you're new maybe here this morning or you're newer to this whole exploration of Christianity, you know, we realise that um, we haven't taught about the church for years and we want to put that right over the next four weeks. So for some of you, you might think, well, I'm not really sure whether I am a Christian or not. This is hopefully going to help you to understand a little bit more about what the church really is. Because it's not just a service. It's not just an event that you come to on a Sunday morning. That's the smallest bit. Okay, That's the bit here now. But actually the church is much bigger than that. And so hopefully for some of you who are Christians, you'll understand some of the concepts I'm going to talk about. If you're not, uh, and you're thinking, I don't only really understand that, then I really encourage you to stick with us and to talk and to ask questions and come back and to find out a little bit more. That's how we learn and discover in every area of life, isn't it? By coming back and asking questions and exploring. You know, I think everyone has an opinion about what church is. And I, and I uh, was, when I was preparing for this, just wrote a few words down. And just, just to, I mean, I could have written lots more, but there are five that immediately came to mind. And I think when I look at people out there, if you like, who aren't part of the church, maybe some will have this opinion inside as well. But people think these things, I think. Number one, people think church is irrelevant. For a lot of people in our culture now, they think church is irrelevant. It's out of touch. It's not connected to modern life. In fact, there's a growing trend in the Western world, in America, uh, North America and in Europe, for people when they fill in survey forms where it says religious affiliation, there's a little box that says none. That's a growing number now. It used to be a small amount that would tick that box. That number is growing. Now, it's not that people are atheists. Most There aren't many, that many, really hardcore atheists in the world. Most people are like, they don't say, well, I wouldn't say there isn't a God, but they just don't connect or identify with organized religion of any kind, Christianity or any kind. And they're in this kind of whole amorphous group of people that are open spiritually and will explore and will experiment, but wouldn't say that they have a particular religious affiliation. And that's growing in Europe and in North America. But I think a lot of people think church is relevant. But some people, church is incomprehensible. I mean, they just can't make any sense of it. And maybe some of you this morning are a little bit like that. You've come in and you've thought, what on earth is this place? You've got a soldier up there. Do you know what I mean? We saw Mr. Bean. You're putting your hands up in the air. What is all this about? And maybe it's incomprehensible. And I have to be honest, and I want you to be honest with me this morning. If you've been a Christian a long time, we are bonkers, aren't we? Come on, honestly. Sometimes we are. The church is a little bit crazy sometimes. And we say and do some really crazy things. And I think we at this church like to be real and, and, and laugh at ourselves as well uh, from time to time. And um, I'm sure, that, you know, the church just does do some crazy things really. And, and I know some of you have heard these before. But you know that the old the kind of church bloopers from the notice boards. I mean, people never mean to say this, but they do because we're human. So this was one uh, in, in one church that said this. This afternoon there'll be a meeting in the, so- in the south and north ends of the church. Children will be baptised at both ends. <laughs> Next Sunday, a special collection will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet will come forward and do so. I don't think they really meant that. And then at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is hell? Come early and listen to the choir practice. And, and we do do some things, you know, like, like you might be sitting there this morning thinking, why do you lift your hands when you sing? Well, actually, if you go to a football match, unless you're a Villa fan, then people do lift their hands and sing, all right? I'm not going to talk about football. I said that, didn't I? But, but one of the reasons we do that is because we just want to acknowledge that God is amazing. And it's like a sign of surrender. It's a sign of saying, God, you're great. 
But there can be some funny things that can happen with that. In fact, two weeks ago, on the front row, I was standing next to our youth pastor, Andy, who you saw on the, uh, on the screen, he's the scouser, and we were both getting into the song, and we both went for the kind of really worship hand thing, and as we went like that, we held hands. <laughs> for a fraction too long, can I say, all right? I had to say, Andy, will you get off? Do you know what I mean? Will you just stop holding my hand? And then what was funny is that all the other songs after that, we, we were both looking at each other at the corner of our eyes saying, are you going up? Are you going down? And we were like, whoa. So we were trying to stay focused on God, but it was a little bit challenging. with the thing. So we do some crazy things, okay? It's incomprehensible sometimes to some people. But you know, if you're at the comedy night, uh, anyone at the comedy night? Mark Greenwood did this brilliant thing where he got that picture. Do you remember that? Uh, one of those magic eye pictures. And he says, no, I just couldn't see it. There's supposed to be dolphins in it or whatever, but I couldn't see it. And people kept saying, look closer, and I look closer, and try harder, and I try harder, but I couldn't see it. But then he said, but then when I saw it, I just wanted to tell everybody about it. So then I went and took the picture to somebody else, and I showed them, and they couldn't see it. And I said, try harder, and look. And you see, the thing is, and he said, 30 minutes ago, I didn't get it, but all of a sudden I did. And church may be incomprehensible to people, but when they have that experience with God, things suddenly change. Church is incomprehensible, but for some people, church is inaccessible. They just don't know what to do. You know, it seems alien to them. They just can't access it, and I think that's our responsibility as the church to find ways for people to access Christ, the founder of the church. But you know, on a serious note, for some people, church is inhospitable. Their opinion can be shaped by their own experience of church. One of the most moving stories that I've ever read is, is uh, by a guy called Philip Yancey who wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. It tells a story of... Um, uh, of, a, of a Christian worker that was out on the streets of Chicago and he bumped into this woman who was a prostitute who began to speak to this man about her life and she had a two-year-old daughter with her. She was a drug addict. She was homeless. She had no money. She was thinking about all kinds of things to do to raise money which were horrific. And the Christian man said this to her, have you ever thought of going to a church? And she said this, church? Why would I go to church? I feel bad enough as it is. And that experience that she had of going to a church and being made to feel worse than she already felt is so far from the truth about what Jesus dreamt of when he thought about the concept of the church. But the reality is, folks, people have had bad experiences with church. You may have had bad experiences as well. And it can mean that for you, church is inhospitable. But church is also, in many people's opinion, institutional. And I think there are some things that have happened in the news this week. You know, what's happening in the Methodist church and you know, things that have come out in the, in, the, in, the, in the news this week about going back, abuse, physical abuse, even sexual abuse and power abuse and all of that. We've seen it in Catholic church, but we see it in other churches as well. But then, you know what, well, something else happened this week which made me think about this word institutional. And I promise I'm not going to mention football again after this, all right? But the thing that happened with FIFA, anyone know that? Okay, the, the governing body of, of, of football worldwide, corruption and all of this kind of thing. But here's the thing, because there's corruption in an institution, doesn't put you off the beautiful game of football. And you need to understand this, it is never an institution that hurt you, it's a person. And the reality is that the church, we've got it wrong so many times and so much that we can learn. But it's because it's full of people that there are those things that happen. Just as in football, it's full of people. And that's what I want to kind of say. So for many people, church is institutional. But I believe, though the church has many critics, it actually has no rivals. Honestly, when the church gets it right, there is nothing like the church on planet Earth. 
And you may have never experienced this, but I want to talk to you about this morning about what Jesus thinks of when he thinks of this amazing thing called the church. See, in a sea of opinions, what is the opinion of the person that matters the most? What was the founder's original intention when he came up with this concept called the church? And in this series, we're going to look at four metaphors that are used in the Bible to describe the church. There's lots, but there's four we're going to look at. And the first one is where our friend comes in, because one of the metaphors that's used to describe the church in the Bible is that of an army. Okay, now when I was thinking of, of, of a picture, is it that kind of an army, Dad's army? Well, no, actually, it's more of this kind of picture. This is a picture of a this is a painting taken of a scene from the Old Testament, and I want to read that to you. It's in Ezekiel 37, and in this in this picture, okay, what happened was there was a whole valley, and it was full of all dry bones, okay. And uh, this prophet Ezekiel was placed in the middle of this. It's a, it's a kind of crazy out there story. But he was asked to prophesy and to speak. And this is what happened. God said to him, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life. They stood up on their feet, a vast army. Now I know that that is, that is connected to Israel and all of that. But there's a sense in the Bible in which God's heart for the church is that it's like an army full of the breath and the Spirit of God. And you can see the language in the New Testament in 2 Timothy 2. Paul says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So here's the metaphor. It's like if you're in the army, you don't all of a sudden say, hey, I'm not going to go take that hill. I'm going to go do something instead. No, you're, in, you're in, in, in that kind of thing and you want to please your commanding officer. You fall in. And there's a sense in which a vast army is the picture in Jesus' head as well. But I want you to know, folks, it's not the kind of an army that we associate with that kind of an army. And I know there's a gun there, but it's a paintballing gun, all right? But the weapons that we have are not like those weapons. The army that Jesus dreams about for the church is not an army of hatred or violence or oppression or conquest. It's an army of grace. It's an army of love. It's an army of kindness. That will change the world. That will change the world. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that if we were to get this right, we would understand that in the heart and mind of Jesus, there was a concept and it's this. The church is unstoppable. And when a vast army gets itself together and gets motivated and gets clear, it becomes an unstoppable force. That's what Jesus had in mind, I believe. And what I want to do this morning, and it's going to be tight because I've got so much I want to say, is I want to talk to you theologically, I want to talk to you historically, geographically, and then practically. Is that all right? You up for that? Yeah? I'm going to do it anyway, so you know, I'm going to go. So number one, theologically, let's look in the Bible in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 18. And you know, there's something in the Bible called the law of first mention. In other words, when something is mentioned for the first time, that is the most accurate understanding of what that word or that concept is about. And this is the first time in the New Testament that the word church is used. So it's really important that we go back, keep going back to this passage of Scripture. And it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man was a reference to himself. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, 
And this rock is the confession, the understanding that Christ is the Son of God. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, the word that Jesus uses here is the word ecclesia, which is, which is a word that means a called out assembly. So in his head, church isn't a building you go to for an event. It's a called out assembly of people. And it was a concept that was common in the day of Jesus. The Greeks understood it. The Jews understood it. But Jesus came along and declared something completely new. He said, this called out assembly will be unlike any other on planet earth. There'll be no barriers. There'll be no barriers of male or female or black or white or young or old or slave or free. It'll be a radically inclusive community. But here's the thing. It will be a radically inclusive community where I, Jesus, is the sustainer of that community by my spirit. So this isn't just an institution, okay? You have to have institution. This is, this is a, that's a framework, but the real community is a group of people, a radically inclusive community where he himself, by his spirit, is this, not only the founder, but he's also the sustainer by the power of his spirit. And we've got to understand the kind of drama of this. Caesarea Philippi was, a, was the world center for the worship of the goat god Pan, okay? This is the world in which we lived in 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus took these good Jewish boys 20 miles outside of Galilee to Caesarea Philippi, okay, they go to this place where people would have been worshipping the goat god Pan and there was a courtyard next to it where people performed sex acts with animals while they were worshipping. It was a horrible place. There's a cliff there with a crack in it which was called the gates of hell. That's where they felt that, thought that spirits would come up to the surface and go down. And in the middle of that religion and superstition and hedonism and all this kind of stuff, Jesus says to these good Jewish guys, guys, I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. It is going to become unstoppable. Anyone else other than me excited about that? I really am. Theologically, that's what's in the mind of Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church. In other words, I, he starts it, will, he prophesies it, build, he grows it, my church, he owns it. Any conversation about the church that doesn't centre right in on Christ misses the mark. Church is not just an organisation, it's not a club, it's not just an event, it's not just a system, it's not any of that. It is a community founded and fueled by the presence of Jesus. That's what was in the mind of Jesus, an unstoppable force. What about historically? Just take a look at the screen in just these three minutes, get a little window into the historical impact of this unstoppable force, the army of Jesus Christ. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. 
Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Don't you get inspired by that? I love it. And you know, it's still happening right now in this country. I know that's American, but it's happening right now. You know, we hear a lot in our news about food banks all across this UK and why we should have them. That's another issue. But we do have them. There's a need there. It's the church. We hear a lot re- locally about, about youth work, reaching the most vulnerable young people. It's often the church. It really is. It's often the church that's out there doing those kind of things. That's what Jesus had in his mind when he thought about an unstoppable force, an unstoppable army touching and changing the world. But what about geographically? Let me give you a few statistics. Every day as we speak, 20,000 people in Africa will become Christians. In 1900, there were 3% of Africans that were Christians. Now it's over 50%. In South Korea, there were no Christians by 19, in 1900. By the 80s, one in three South Koreans was a Christian. In fact, in the 70s and 80s, there was such a massive growth in that country that some of the biggest churches in the world were there. In fact, myself and a couple of other guys in the church, we went to one of the biggest churches in the world. I think it was the biggest church in the world at the time in the 90s. And there was over a million people in this church. <laughs> and uh, we, we went to, from our hotel to, 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 to where, we, where we were told the church was. And we, we got out the taxi. And as we got out, there was this massive skyscraper straight in front of us. And we, our breath was taken away. We were amazed. I couldn't fit it in the picture. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And a guy came up and I said, how do you get into this church? He says, that's not the church. That's the Sunday school. So that's where the kids go. He says, that's the church there. And, we, and there was a stadium next to it, which we didn't even see because of this skyscraper. And when you see there's the power of that, it's not all about the size, but the power of that. You know, what God could do in 70, 80 years in that country. You know, in Nepal, we read a lot about Nepal right now because of the earthquake. In fact, um, a friend of mine is a minister is out there right now helping, giving food out on the ground in Nepal right now. Um, but, you know, we, we hear about that. But, you know, in 1960, up to 1960, there were no Christians in that country allowed. Now there is a church, small church, a church in every one of the 75 districts in Nepal. In um, uh, Sao Paulo in Brazil in 2006, over 3 million people went out on the streets for the world's largest march for Jesus. 3 million people. You might not know this, but the countries with the fastest growing um, rate of Christianity in the world are countries that you wouldn't expect right now. Iran, Afghanistan, Cambo- uh, Cambodia, Gambia, Greenland, Algeria, Somalia, Mongolia. It's amazing. Now, it's not all good news, okay? There are some really challenging parts of the world. We understand that in the Middle East, Europe and North America. There's some real challenges up for the church. But I want you to know, geographically, we are part of something which is incredible, it's unstoppable. It really is. In Jesus' mind, it isn't just a small little thing in one. It's going to overtake the world because it's him. It's him bringing his love and his grace and his mercy into our world. 
The big question today is not just theologically, we can understand that, practic- um, uh, historically or geographically, but what about practically? How does this church here become unstoppable? Well, I think the key word is a very small word, when. You see, the church becomes unstoppable when certain things happen, and I want to just give you three this morning. Number one, when we're all on mission. See, Jesus says in Matthew 28, Then Jesus came to the disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And can you imagine the commanding officers saying to the troops, okay, here's the hill I want you to take. And some of them saying, I don't want to do that. Let's go do that instead. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate at all. You are never going to be an unstoppable force unless you're all on mission. And I want to say to us folks, if you're part of this church, I love the way that this church is changing. I think God's doing some amazing things. We're getting really focused on what our mission is. We've got to stay on mission. We've got to stay on mission. There are so many churches around the world. And I'll tell you what, when they start to drift, when they start to slow down, when they start to close and all that, it's usually because they've forgotten why they're there. They've forgotten the main thing. You know, we are, as a church, we're part of a denomination of churches called the Elim Churches. Elim Pentecostal Churches, we started 100 years ago this year. This is our centenary year. In fact, in the autumn, there's a whole load of celebrations going on nationally. And myself and a few others are involved in putting on the one in Birmingham at the Town Hall on September the 19th. We're going to get some tickets. We'd love for you, some of you to come to that and be part of that. But our, um, our, our kind of leader of, of the whole stream of churches, a guy called John Glass, recently he was out in Ghana. And in Ghana, we have a, uh, there's a whole group of churches there which are affiliated to us as well. There are two million Christians in those churches, okay? And one of the things that, that John said is that he was at a conference recently, and it was full of ministers and pastors like me and Simon. And at the end of the conference, the leader of the church, he said, right, now I'm going to tell you where you're all going to go. So he said, okay, so Simon, at the end of this conference, you and your family, you're off to this country here. You and your thing, you're off to there. And he basically posted them all around the place. And John looked at that and said, and he said to this guy, he said, that would never work in our culture. That just never worked. And he said something very interesting to John. He said this, do you not have um, the armed forces in your culture then? John said, yeah, we do. Why? He says, well, if you have the armed forces, surely they understand how it works. And he says, the difference is when people become Christians in Ghana, they don't join a club, they join an army. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying that we do that, okay? And there is cultural things, but isn't it an interesting mindset? You see, we are so individual in this culture that it's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about my option, my choice, my entitlement, my rights, my, my preferences. But actually, in the mind of Jesus, there was something far bigger than that. That when you join in with his mission and you get on track with his mission, you become part of something unstoppable. So when are we all on mission? Let me just give you some pointers. I think we're all on mission when we're all sharing our faith and using our voice. It's been great over the last few weeks hearing in this voice series, people tell stories about how they've used their voice in, at work and at school and in the community and at home. But wasn't it amazing? When all of us are sharing our faith, when all of us are inviting people to events, when all of us are using our voice, we become unstoppable. We are become unstoppable when we're all serving and playing our part. You know, organizations often say that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That's not the case in this one. But wouldn't it be amazing if every single person that was a part of this community said, hey, I've got some gifts, I've got some abilities, I want to serve, I want to carry some weight. We'd become unstoppable. We'd become unstoppable, and this is the one where you're all going to look at the floor, when we're all giving financially. See, yeah, exactly. See, some people think, oh, and this is the one where a lot of people have a, have a view of the church that we're just after your money. Do you know what I mean? It's like, 
We're after your whole life, not just your money. Because that's what God gave himself for. And it's not that we're after it, he's after it, because he created you. And actually, giving is one of the ways in which we really test out where our loyalty really is. And I want to say this about giving, and we very rarely talk about it like this, but I want to tell you this. You know, in our house, we love leftovers at Christmas time. How many of you love that, yeah? You have the turkey, and you see, how long can we make this turkey last? And if we have a Sunday roast sometimes, we did it this week, actually, then can we get two or three meals out of it? We do that. We, let's be creative with leftovers. If you come to our house for, me, for dinner, we won't serve you leftovers. So if we wouldn't serve you leftovers, although we would eat them, why would we give our leftovers to God? Because actually the Bible talks about, actually, now when we give financially to God, we recognize that everything we have comes from Him. And we're going to give to Him first, and then we're going to live on the leftovers. And the Bible helps to simplify it by saying, actually, one of the ways you can do that is through a principle called tithing, which is 10% of your income. Now you might say, well, that's a bit much. Work towards it. For some of you, that's not enough. It's not about the amount. It's about, am I going to be serious and thought through about giving to God through the local church Because that's who I want to put first in my life. Or am I going to actually just give him the leftovers? Because we wouldn't do that if we were inviting someone round for dinner. How about about when we're all growing? I think we become unstoppable when we're all growing. Who wants to grow spiritually? Anyone? You You see, when we all are growing spiritually, then actually we become unstoppable. And your spiritual growth is not just about you and God, it's about us. Because the reality is a church becomes unstoppable spiritually when all of us are growing. And the more of us are growing, it's almost like the accumulative effect is greater than the parts. And let me ask you another question. How many of you want your kids to grow spiritually? Yeah, we really do. Here's something then. You're going to need to have a think about this issue, okay? For your own life and for the life of your kids. You see, often, often, I hear people say this. I nearly didn't come this morning, but I'm really glad that I did. Now, let, let's just think about that. I nearly didn't come this morning, but I'm really glad I did. Why were they glad they came? Because when they came to church on a Sunday, okay, to the gathered church, they heard God. God spoke. They sang something. They heard something. God impacted them. But they nearly didn't come. Why didn't they nearly come? They nearly didn't come because nobody these days puts in their diary church on a Sunday. Okay? Nobody does it. You put in, in, in your church all of the kind of things like you're going to go to karate, you're going to go to taekwondo, you're going to go to the gym, your kids are going to go to ballet, they're going to go to dance, they're going to go to music. We diarize all those things, but when it comes to the gathered church expression, we don't put in our diary. So what we do is we wake up on a Sunday and we have a flip of a coin, do I go to church today or not? And then when we go and God speaks to us, we're really glad we did because we nearly missed it. Here's something for you. Why don't you not flip a coin anymore? Why don't you put it in your diary and your kid's diary that you are going to do all you can to be in church one hour and 15 minutes a week? Because if you do that, it helps to anchor you. It helps to ground you. It helps to propel you out into the world to be the church that God wants you to be. And honestly, the amount of people that say, you know, my, my kids, my, they're teenagers now, they don't want to go on with God. Listen, if you do everything you can do, teenagers will still kick back against it. But I'll tell you this, if you don't put consistency in the spiritual d- dynamics of your kids' lives, you've got no chance when they get to be teenage. No chance. So a young lad uh, who was always on time at kids' church was late one Sunday. And one of the volunteers said, um, hey, you're always on time. How come you're late? And, and the kid explained to him, well, I, I wasn't going to come, actually. Uh, I was going fishing um, but with my dad. But then he told me I needed to go to church. The volunteer was impressed and asked the boy if his dad had explained to him why going to church was more important than fishing. To which the boy replied, yes, he did. 
Dad said he didn't have enough bait for both of us. And we can laugh, but actually, in our modern... And I understand about shifts and work. I understand all that. And I understand the world's changed. I get all that. But I tell you this. If we make that gathered experience one of the spiritual disciplines in our life, it will help us grow. And it will help our kids grow. But we've got to put it in the diary. So we don't flip a coin on a Sunday to decide whether we're going to go or not. So when we're all serving, when we're all growing, when we're all giving... We get to be on mission, and that's phenomenal. But secondly, when we're all on the same page, we become unstoppable. God loves unity. And one of the things that people have as a criticism about the church, which I think is quite founded, is that we just aren't very good at unity often. We tear each other apart, you know, and yet Ephesians 4 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's one body, there's one Spirit, there's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism. And you know, when you get unity together, you get like an understanding of an unstoppable force. There's nothing that you can't accomplish. In fact, this church proved it by its giving just 12 months ago. You gave over a million pounds to our refurbishment program, which is phenomenal for a church of our size. Absolutely phenomenal. Over and above what you normally give. Brilliant. When we all come together and play a part, we become unstoppable. And there's a story in the Old Testament from Genesis 11, where this group of people got together and they wanted to build a city and they wanted to build a tower that reached up to God. And it wasn't a good thing because they were doing it to make a name for themselves. But God saw that there was incredible power at work, even though it wasn't a good thing. And it says this. They say, come let us make uh, bricks and bake them thoroughly. Uh, Then it went on to say, they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Just look about that. It's not a good thing they were doing, okay? But, but God said, it's such an unstoppable force when you get on the same page, it can change the world. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So wouldn't it be amazing if we all got on mission and if we all got on the same page and protected unity, I think we'd become the unstoppable church that Jesus dreams about. Now, what does a church on the same page look like? It's not all uniformity, okay? You don't all have to be like me. You may be very happy about that. It's not all uniformity. That's a cult. And it's not all in agreement about everything. That's immaturity. What is unity? I think it's an obsession with keeping the main thing the main thing. That's when we get on the same page. When actually, we at this church are not going to fall out about things that aren't that important, are we? So we're not going to fall out about whether the music's too loud or whether we like that or not or the lights or that or any of that. We can talk about it. Of course we can. That's mature. But we're not going to fall out about it because the main thing is the main thing. And none of those things are the main thing. So it's an obsession with keeping the main thing the main thing. Secondly, it's a commitment to working through relational conflict where we can. You know, that's the thing with the army, isn't it? You know, you're in an army. If you suddenly say, I don't want to be in this army any longer, I'll leave. That's called desertion. And actually, Jesus has this dream and a plan for, for the body of Christ, for the church, to be so, so powerful that when we do fall out, which we do, we don't desert, we work through our stuff. We work through our stuff because that's where we grow. And that's where we sharpen one another. And we don't get to choose who we are next to in this great army. And that's part of the richness of the church. Because in the not choosing of who we're going to be with, that's when the real depth and the real beauty and the real value can come. So we're not going to desert when we have conflict. We're going to work through our relation of conflict. And we are not going to be an army that shoots its own wounded. 
Amen. So when we're on mission, we become unstoppable. When we're on the same page, we become unstoppable. And then finally, when we're all on fire. Now you think, whoa, that sounds really weird now. What do I mean by that? You know, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost was a Jewish uh, celebration. And 2,000 years ago, the disciples, after Jesus had died and was resurrected, the disciples that Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem, and then I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And so they were waiting, and on the day of Pentecost, on the day of that feast, something incredible happened. It says this in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It sounds a little weird, I know that. But basically what happened was this, that they were all waiting together. Jesus their founder, Jesus their Lord, Jesus their leader, he'd gone. He died, he was resurrected. He said, hey, I'm going to ascend, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to send someone just like me, the spirit of me, my spirit to you. And my spirit is going to fill you, every one of you, and you'll become unstoppable. And what happened was that those group of early Christians there were filled with the fire of God and they went out and they changed the world. And I want you to know this. I found this quote, which I just love it so much. A guy called Vince Havner, he says this, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it or conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. I wish I wrote that. That is amazing. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it. So we're standing with our placards and saying, God hates this and God hates that. That ain't going to do it. Conformity to it, so there's no difference between us and anyone else. That's not going to do it. But by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. So as we finish, I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you on fire? Are you on fire with the Spirit of God? You know, some of you have been a Christian a long time. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. And you know right now that it's been a long time since you've felt on fire with the Spirit of God. Some of you are newer to all this. Maybe you've never experienced what I'm talking about, what we read about there in Acts, but you can. It's not weird or freaky, but it is supernatural. And I want to help you a little bit more. You see, some of you, maybe you're kind of wood that's never, ever been set on fire. In other words, you've never given yourself to God to say, God, would you send your spirit? Would you fill me with your spirit? On the inside, would you make me come alive to who I'm meant to be? One of my heroes uh, spiritually is a guy called William Booth uh, who founded the Salvation Army. And as a young man, he said to God, he said, I said to God, he can have all there is of William Booth. And what he did was he put himself, if you like, on the altar, if you like, and said, and God sent fire. And God filled him with his spirit, and he started the Salvation Army radically, revolutionized, Victorian England and beyond, beyond into the world. So maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never done that for the first time. You can do it. Maybe some of you, you know that you have been set on fire by God, but your flame is really flickering out. It's almost extinguishing. And you need God to help you. The Bible says fan into flame. You've got to do something, but you need God to help you to do that. Maybe some of you, you put the fire out yourself. The Bible says don't put out the Spirit's fire. You know, I often meet with people and they say, um, oh, I don't feel close to God. And then when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that they're not coming to church much and they're not reading the Bible and maybe they're doing some other stuff relationally or whatever way that they know isn't God's best for them and they wonder why they don't feel close to God because they're putting out the Spirit's fire. Maybe that's you. Or maybe some of us have had the fire put out by others. There are wet blanket people around, aren't there? We know that. Or maybe life itself has put the fire out. Wherever you're at, 
I want you to know, God, Jesus, his heart for you and for us is that we would be an unstoppable force. And that only happens when we're all on fire. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. What we're going to do as we finish, we're going to sing such a simple song, a little refrain. Just invites God to set a fire deep down in our soul. And it may be this morning that maybe for some of you, you need to respond to what I've said this morning. Maybe you've never given yourself. Maybe you've never done that, said, I've told God he can have all there is. Now, maybe you never put that yourself on the fire. But maybe you know that you have done that, but actually your flame is really dying. It's just barely alive. Or maybe you put the spirit fire out yourself. Or maybe others, or maybe life has done it. But this morning, we want to pray for you. We want to give you an opportunity. And what we're going to do is, in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing. And if any of you want prayer this morning, then we want to ask you just to come at the front. Someone will come and pray. They're not going to ask you lots of things. They're literally just going to pray for God's fire. So you don't need to say anything. They're just going to pray that God would touch you this morning. And then nothing may happen in terms of, you know, that you may experience anything. But by faith, we say, actually, we believe something has happened on the inside by faith. Even if it doesn't express itself on the outside or you don't feel anything emotionally or physically, that doesn't mean nothing's happened. We respond to God and we say, Lord, would you fill me with your fire? And God hears that prayer and he hears that. He really does. And I believe something will happen whether you feel it or whether you know it or not. So why don't we stand? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible, incredible vision, Lord Jesus, for the church. This unstoppable force, this vast army, this incredible army, not not of violence or oppression, not of guns and bayonets and any of that, but God, this incredible army of healers that filled with the Spirit of God, filled with compassion, looking out for where there's injustice to bring justice, looking out for where there's um, oppression to bring freedom, looking out for where there's hopelessness to bring hope. God, and we do that because we are fueled and fired by the Spirit of Jesus. So God, I pray this morning that, Lord, by your Spirit, you would come. And Lord, for many of us this morning, that this would be just a few moments where we say again, Lord, set us on fire again. Set us on fire by your Spirit, I pray. Maybe it's been a long time for some of us. Maybe it's never, ever happened. God, would you come and set us on fire by your Spirit and by your presence, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you flood this place with your presence? We want more of you. We need more of you. Lord Jesus, we're not an institution, God. We're a community of people founded by Jesus, sustained by Jesus, by His power and by His Spirit. Lord, would you come? Spirit of God, we welcome you. In Jesus' name. Just as we sing, if any of you want prayer, I encourage you to come to the front and we'd love to pray for you. Let's all respond as we sing to Him this morning.